Yes, hello folks, welcome to the very first in the series of BTP Matches Netted Shows for the 2020 season, of course, as we are one day away from a Crystal Palace game. You may listen to this before Palace, you may listen to it after. I'm wanting to get a show out earlier in the week with Martin, it just transpired where it didn't work out, so I'm delighted to be joined here with uh, my regular co-host, um, Cal McFadden. Cal, how are you doing, mate? I'm, I'm doing well, Phil. Um, I have to be honest with you, though, it's been, it's been a rough Friday in the sense that you're watching one of your, your biggest rivals sign at a world-class footballer who's just won the treble with Bayern Munich mm-hmm. and now looking as if they're going to add someone else. But let's try and try and be, be positive in the sense that United are back. I'm looking forward to the Palace game and I just hope everything else falls into place after that. Well, obviously, we'll take a look at the Palace game. So much of, obviously, what we're going to talk about today is going to be dominated by <clears throat> United's transfer window of uh, business or lack thereof. And, you know, Callum, I said at the end of the season that um, Solskjaer answered all the questions that were asked of him. So the only people that were on trial at this point were the board. Were they going to use Solskjaer's miracle as a springboard to bring players in, um, to give him the players that he wants, the players that he's asked for? He's asked for two or three signings. He's not going to get them the looks of things. Um, Certainly not the president he wants. I would be surprised if that happened. I hope it still happens. But if he doesn't get the players that he asks for, he's been let down. And for too long, the recruitment team at this football club has been the reason why this football club stagnates. It's the reason why the football club can't make any progress. And yet, for whatever reason, they seem to be the only people that don't lose their jobs. Everyone else is held to a standard. And if they don't meet that standard, they get sacked. Jose Mourinho was held to a standard and was sacked. Louis van Gaal was held to a standard and was sacked, both of whom brought trophies to Manchester United. Solskjaer, as we saw last season, second half of last season, they were a good team, not a great team. Great teams find themselves in finals. Great teams find themselves winning trophies. United came close on three different fronts. They got a semi-final. That's about right for where United are. They're not really a third-place team either, right? They're not a team that felt like a third-place team. Um, and to be honest... This summer was about giving Solskjaer the players to make sure that the top four wasn't just the only target, right? As things stand right now, the only thing you can ask of Solskjaer is to finish top four. That's, that, that is reality, and, and I would agree with you there. We, we talked at the end of the season about this is the opportunity, we'll finish third. It might not feel like a third-place finish, but it gives the club the opportunity to build on it create some positive energy amongst the support, amongst the manager, amongst the players, and really go into this season thinking, right, okay, realistically, even if you, you, you get all three or four top targets, are you going to bridge the gap between City and Liverpool in one season? Potentially not, but at least you, you can you can hand on heart say, I, I can tell and I can sense we're going to get a lot closer. At this moment in time, I just worry. Um, there's been talk of Chris Smalling potentially staying. Um, Jan Mengi, who has been doing really well, um, has been promoted to the first team. And I, I always, I love when a youth player gets promoted, especially one who's so highly rated by the staff. But then again, it also makes me worry that you're going to hear that horrible footballing cliche, he's like a new signing, which I, I, I don't think United can can afford to to say this season um, with anyone. I think it's it's obvious the positions that that need strengthened. I think Van de Beek was a good start. I thought United got that deal done um, to their credit in a in an efficient manner. 
But in regards to, to the other areas that United and Solskjaer want to, to strengthen, it's... I, I, I hate to say it, but you did tell us, Phil, um, at the end of the season you'd said it'll be interesting when United get involved in the transfer market because it'll be drawn out for many weeks and months. You, you, you see that with Sancho. Um, you saw it with Regulin, who obviously who's now joining Tottenham. It started to be drawn out. Leaks were coming out. It got public. Then he goes elsewhere. So really, you're in a position where, other than Sancho, is there is there any any targets that are really in the pipeline? Obviously, I don't know that, but you would suggest not because we've not heard any leaks anyway. With most things, it's good to take emotion out of it and look at the logic. Let's just look at Dean Sancho for the logical side of it for a second, okay? So here's a guy that you never have known they've wanted for a long time, right? Um, you would like to believe there would have been conversations with Dean Sancho and his agent long before the transfer window opened. Because clearly they had authorization from Borussia Dortmund to do that because they've been talking to his agent and representative for a while. Why did it take to the last two and a half weeks of the window or three weeks of the window to break a deadlock with his agent, if that existed at all? Remember, there's very different briefs being given by different parties involved in this. And it all depends on who you believe. Fabrizio Romano reporting, of course, the agent and what the agent was saying, um, Niki Obasi who is Sancho's agent, and he completely contradicts what the other parties involved will tell you. Um, and so let's just look at both possibilities for a second, okay? And then you ask yourself what's most likely to be true. I don't think no matter what the answer is, it's particularly flattering to United, right? And I'll tell you where, I'm, where I defend them and where I criticize them. I have no problems with the structure of a deal being loaded with add-ons, none whatsoever, for the following reason. Dean Sancho is not a finished article. Dean Sancho is all potential. He's a very, very, very good young talent, a very, very good young player. But, it, but United with Pogba paid a finished article price. They paid a price for a midfielder that you would have paid for the, has, that is the very elite. And you could argue that Pug would never fulfill that potential. So with Jadon Sancho, if he fulfills his potential, those clauses get paid. I have no problems with that. Where I would refute clauses would be team clauses. Like, he has to win a Champions League. Well, Jadon Sancho can't win a Champions League on his own. Should have should have no relevance to them ban a player, right? Because that depends on what you need to do with 10 other positions that Borussia Dortmund or Jadon Sancho are in control of. But if they're individual, right? Like he scores so many goals or like he, it all depends what those add-ons are. Then I think they're entirely reasonable. And I don't blame you for doing that. Um, so let's say that, that the add-ons on the, the fee with Borussia Dortmund is now the issue. Why again did it take this long to find themselves in this situation? Why can other clubs do this in such a quick time frame. Because you cannot tell me that even if they bring in two other signings, that it's beneficial to Solskjaer and this football club to get those signings late. It's not. It's beneficial for Solskjaer to get those signings early so that they, him and his, his, his coaching team can prepare United with those players in mind. 
And we'll get to small in row in a second, right? I know in the prayers of the train, the white micro, but Sancho wages agent fee, right? These are things that should have been agreed ages ago. These are things that United should have went to Jason Sancho's agent the first week of the window and say, boys, this is what we're paying. If you don't want it, we go elsewhere. What they shouldn't have done is said, oh, you know, let them drag it out the last couple of weeks and when uh, we'll sit here and that also tells you that there are no imminent alternatives, that there's no one obvious. I mean, come on, Douglas Costa, scrappy footballer. Douglas Costa has what, been injured constantly for Juventus. It's not an alternative. Even Persich, a guy you refused to buy a few years ago. I mean, I'm not a snob. I'm not against loans. But this is ridiculous. So what are you left with the last two weeks of the window? Certainly not top players. So once again, Solskjaer is being let down, right? But I said this on, on, on my tweet. Calm, I'll finish up with this. This would never happen on the business side. United, if they had key positions on the business side that was fundamental to generating revenue, a couple of things wouldn't happen. First of all, they wouldn't take pluck some kid out of university and say, here, son, have a crack at that and we'll see if you can do this. They go out and get the very best there is in the market. They certainly wouldn't go months and years on field, right? And they certainly wouldn't be taking a punt on some guy because the consequences matter to them on the business side because it matters to them about whether they make money or not. Way more than it matters on the football side because the curve that's taken from United on the business side is completely different to the curve that's taken on the football side. Schultzker would not be in charge of hiring people for the business side, professionals for obvious reasons. So why do people who know nothing about football get to make decisions about football at Manchester United? Final decisions. Sorry, I'm glad. Absolutely, and, and as you say, when if, when it comes to, to things that go on behind the scenes, I mean, if if United, if Ed Woodward was to leave Manchester United tomorrow, I'm pretty pretty sure the Glazers would have, as you say, someone that they in their minds would think was best in class in his position, very very quickly, as you as you rightly say, it definitely wouldn't be going months and, and even years without being addressed. One of the things that intrigues me, obviously Tottenham, are, I've, I've just seen the, the return of, of Gareth Bale. And what I find interesting about that, and maybe it was so shy that, that pushed back on it, I don't know, but that to me seemed like a signing that, that Woodward would have craved, the star power, being able to sell that to people. But during the week, I, I spoke to, to, to Gareth's agent, Jonathan Barnett, and when I asked about United, he, he just laughed and said, Tottenham's the only show in town. So I don't, under, I don't know. He obviously didn't go into the logistics of Tottenham are the only show in town in terms of where Gareth would go. Um, I, I don't really, I, you can take into that what you will, but that was the, the exact quote from him. And you just wonder, with that right-hand side position, Sancho, if he's not coming, Bale, if he's going elsewhere, because he's, as I say, say, someone that, that Woodward would love commercially, who, who would be the alternative? And, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head, Phil, there is no alternative. Acosta, doesn't excite me. Perisic would be an insult, I think, to to so many uh, fans, I think he's a decent player, but to not sign Perisic a couple of years ago for Mourinho and say that he was too old and that he's a player you you, you couldn't 
you couldn't sign then. To then bring him in and loan two or three years later with just some United up when it comes to recruitment, it would be a haphazard decision if, if he was the sort of player that comes in. But, but analysing it, assessing it, um, it, it is worrying. Um, the thing that I would, I'd be interested to get your perspective on, Phil, um, I know obviously you've, you've spoken to United um, as you've been uh, telling us in, in recent weeks and, and that, that, that source and the credit that you've got there is incredible. What I want to ask you about is the left-back situation. Mm. Now, obviously, you may not know the logistics of it. The way I look at it is you've got Shaw, you've got Brandon Williams. If United have been heavily linked with a left-back and then one doesn't come in, does that put seeds of doubt in their mind? Well, I mean, this is exactly why you need to get these signings done early. Because what do you do to Luke Shaw when he knocks your door? You know, you need to have an answer to the question. So if Luke Shaw knocks your door and says, boss, am I starting this season? Maybe. When you looked at the left back, you looked at Regulon. You don't look at Vernon. You know, it's a bit like getting caught in Tinder by the wife. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Just looking. <laughs> oh. Sweep right back, isn't I'll just see what the options are. But let's look at Regalon for a second, right? I mean, there's another example, right? And again, so when you're completely obsessed with making a profit on a player, right, then things like buyout clauses become really, really important. And I can understand the mindset of, if Regalon comes in, does well, Real Madrid come back in and take him and send him for next to nothing. But this depends on a couple of things. It depends on Regalon actually wanting to go back there, right? Buyout clauses can be negotiated out, right? Real Madrid can't buy a player that doesn't want to go there, you know? Um, but let me ask you this. With every signing that we make, I would take a deal where... If they're successful, we can sell them at a profit at some point in the future. Because they have to be successful. And if they're successful, you get the return on the pitch. That means maybe for two years, Regulon puts in top-class performances for United. And as a result, maybe they win trophies. Right? Maybe they, 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 they do certain things that, um, you know, they, they, they a league title challenge. And then you sell them at a profit and you've got two years to figure out who your next alternative left back is, right? So that you can go scout young players across the world and say, hey, 24 months from now, we need to make sure we have a left back, right? And if you do it properly and you scout properly, you should be able to buy one within the, the price range that you've just sold Regulon for. But again, the obsession becomes... We want to control how much profit we make on a player. So this is why I never bought into the Holland thing either. Right? Again, um, those causes are only, they're only relevant if the player is successful and wants to go. Right? So let's say he comes into Tottenham, plays exceptionally well this season, and Spurs finish top four and United don't. How relevant is that clause? And that's that, that 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 is the the issue. And and you, you also summed it up when it comes to bonuses. I don't have a problem with clubs like United offering bonuses for for individuals because, as you've said, it, it really showcases that the player has to be successful and hopefully in turn boosts his intrinsic motivation to to do as well as he possibly can on the park. You just you just wonder 
we spoke about this again over the summer with, with Tom McDermott and others. When it comes to United's squad players who, let's be honest, we know, and they probably know deep down themselves, aren't going to be battering the door down of the first team unless there's a massive injury outbreak. None of those guys have, have moved on, really. You could, Obviously, Sanchez has moved on, but Lingard's still there. Pereira's still there. Um, Smalling, as we talk, still there. Rojo's still there. And you just scratch your head and think, why on earth aren't these guys moving on, or at least a couple of them? And again, I think that comes down to the figures. They, they will look at Rojo as someone we paid $16 million or whatever it was for him, and think to themselves, mate, we need to recoup that back. You're not going to recoup that money back. What's he achieved in the last two or three years? Nothing. Please. He's the sort of player who we've talked about. If you, you hear from people within the game, professionalism's a big issue. He went on loan back to, to Argentina. Again, some injury problems. He's come back. You're not going to get $16 million for him. Here, here's the concern, and just to finish up on the regular thing, which falls back into the situation with Sancho and everything else. Why did it take you three weeks left in the window to find out he has a clause on his contract, or Real Madrid want a clause on his contract? I assume if he was a target, you know, you only played against him two months ago or a month ago in the, in the Europa League final. I'm certain Sevilla knew that there was going to be a, a clause in the contract. So you waste four or five weeks of the window to find out something that should have taken five minutes on a phone call? Hey, we would like your left back. Yeah, we want to buy a clause and put, but we want to buy back clause put in there. That's a problem. Well, you know what? Buy back clauses don't work for us. Let's move on. What were they hoping that Real Madrid would ring them? Go, hey, you know what? I'm going to take it out. <laughs> I mean, man, it's just insanity. It's it's it, it's an aptitude. It's not. It's, it, I mean, we laugh because what what other what other, what else can we do? But I, what I'm trying to understand is these are people that are paid seven figures plus in these positions, and all I can see is them doing a job that you or I could do. Where's the justification for it? What value are they providing Manchester United Football Club? They can't sell a player. And they can't buy one. The only reason why they got Van der Beek is because of uh, Van der Sar's commitment to United. And again, because Spurs moved for him first. Which finally prompted United to do something. So here we are again with a player that was desperate to join the football club. Right? Which is the primarily motivating factor why they got him and Ajax were willing to mon- uh, honour previous agreement. So... This thing, here's the concern with the likes of Lingard and everything else, Calm. Because United's perception of this is totally different from the fans, right? United's perception of this is, hey, whether we end this window with one sending or not, we've supported Solskjaer. We gave him all this money last summer. We spent $100 million this year. Because they're talking about January, of course, right? Um, along with Van der Beek. So, you know, don't get caught up in the hysteria of what's going on social media. So, when they're calculating net cost, and this is why it's a problem. So, when Fellaini goes for next to nothing, when Ander Herrera goes for next to nothing, they don't replace those players because there's no money coming in. So, let's say Lingard goes for next to nothing. 
because he's only got a year left on his contract. What Solskjaer can't do is go to the board and say, we need to replace him. Well, we can't. We didn't get any money for him. Because it's all factored in as a net spending, which, by the way, is an awful barometer to judge anything because there's way too many variables. Right? The, the, it, it's a tax write-off. It's amortized. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, like clauses, add-on clauses. You never really know. So let's say United sell Lukaku for the, the, the advertised price is 70 million. But there's maybe 20 million in add-ons. And if they get paid, you and I'll never hear about it. Right? So actually they got 90. You know? So um, look at the clauses that were in Martial's contract. How many of them got paid? Look how much was made of them. Right? All these add-ons. It's just unacceptable. The, the, the thing is, as a football club, it's just so frustrating. Here's Liverpool. Liverpool won the European Cup. And then they won the league. The United fans had to stomach it. They finished more than 30 points ahead of Manchester United this season. They're now closing in on their third signing. Third. They've sent a world-class midfielder. They've sent a young right-back. And now they're signing Diego Jota, who's a very, very good winger. And we've got monitoring. We do more. We 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 do more monitoring. Wayne Lineker. <laughs> and this is the thing that I want to ask you, Phil. Right? I want to uh, want to ask you because I've got my my view on it. As we sit here now, United have signed Van der Beek. Sancho is he coming? Is he not? That saga rumbles on. In your honest opinion, do United add anyone else before the window? Shots. Well, here, here's the thing, man, right? Which was widely reported and said by many. That if Sancho didn't come, United had options, right? So they were giving you the impression that they had backups in place that if Sancho didn't have. So I, up until a couple of days, maybe a day or two ago, still believed United would send two more players. And I suppose part of me might still be shocked if they didn't send at least one more, one or two more players. But what's clear is a couple of things. First of all, they are very concerned about the financial future. Very concerned. So they're being extremely cautious financially. Right? Now that was emphasized in my communications with them earlier in the season. And it's been emphasized just about every time you ask the football club about this. Let me say also, uh, so, so, so uh, I'm going to give you the, the, the answer to that. So, uh, so they're very concerned about the financial impact. But what annoys me, Callum, is the gaslighting of the situation, is that it's COVID, COVID, COVID. One thing we know that COVID does is it kills, if you've got comorbidities, COVID is very dangerous. You need to have a lot of comorbidities, right? If I make three million a year and I take out loans that take up more than fifty to sixty percent of my income in repaying them, uh, I'm also paying myself out of that, and I'm also doing things out of that money that I shouldn't be doing that was not intended. And then COVID comes along and hits my income 10, 15%. It's not COVID that's the reason why I can't 
have liquidity and, and, and purchase things. It's the other uh, obligations. Yes, COVID doesn't help. COVID does make it worse. But to turn around and solely blame COVID and not to gaze our ownership is gaslighting that is un- unbelievable. Right? Look, I, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to talk to people at the football club, Calm. And let me say this. The vast majority of people at work are lovely, lovely people. Right? And I know some people listening are going to get angry from me saying this, but I'm not going to sit on this podcast and badmouth these people. Right? Because what I will say to their credit is that they do try to inform people. And my, some of my views have changed as I've become better informed about certain situations. Um, and uh, hopefully at some point in the very near future, you know, it will give me someone to come on the pod and talk about some of the things that we've talked about in private. Because I do think that's important. I think that it's important that the football club do put somebody out in the media that gets in front of this and says, look, the only side that's being told is this side. Let me give it to you from the club's perspective. Not everyone's going to agree with them. Not everyone's going to like it. But it, at least some people might see some context, right? And they think that is important that you need to do that. Um, I don't know if they'll give that individual to me. I've asked for them. Um, you know, have been generous to me, I have to say. Uh, and um, I've said it on the show many, 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 many times, is if you can Charlie Brooks is one of the most amazing human beings I've got the privilege of ever working with in any business. Just a, just a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, someone who cares deeply about this football club. And um, someone you can have an honest exchange of views with. And uh, I respect him immensely. You know, so uh, obviously we speak to other people at the football club that, uh, you know, that, and so... Um, I, I do give them some credit for that because they do try to make sure that the discussion out there is also informed. So I might not be long winded, but uh, <clears throat> very, very concerning about their perspective and how they feel the support in Solskjaer. They also feel Callum, their investment in the youth academy should be recognized. I have to say, I want to just echo um, your view on, on Charlie. Um, I think he's, He's, he's a real credit to the football club, as are mm-hmm. many of the staff behind the scenes. And, and and as a club, as you've said, United employ many people who have incredible integrity and are happy to have an exchange of views. And for me, that has to be welcomed. In regards to the Youth Academy, I have to be honest with you, um, many years ago, um, five years or so ago, Youth Academy was really, really falling behind. And, and to be fair, the club have invested and and you've, the club's also been able to reap the rewards of that in recent years. You think about Mason Greenwood, you think about Marcus Rashford, some of the other players that have come through as well, which again is commendable. But at the same time, at the same time, it's unfair, and we've talked about this before, on air and off air, it's unfair to say to Solskjaer, here is a 19-year-old kid or an 18-year-old kid with enormous potential, throw him in. Because as you know and I know, they're automatically going to be compared mm-hmm. with the best in their position. You look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, he went into Liverpool because from what they had at the time, Nathaniel Klein was competing with him. He was the best in his position at the club, so he overtakes Klein and he gets in. You cannot just expect, and I saw that today, Jimmy Garner's joined Watford and Lone, mm-hmm. which is a good, a good step. Hope he does as well. But someone like him, he's someone who the f- fans online talk about an awful lot. 
But you can't possibly, or you couldn't possibly last season, throw that kid into a massive game and say, right, on you go. Because he's automatically going to be compared with Bruno and Pogba and Matic and what's already there. A couple of bad games, the kid's confidence is destroyed. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how brutal football can be, especially with fans. His reputation with the fan base is destroyed as well. So I think people have to understand that when it comes to young players, you have to you have to temper your expectations at times because even with Mason Greenwood this season, Phil, as you know, mm-hmm. he's not going to be an 8 out of 10 every week. He's an mm-hmm. 18, 19-year-old kid. He needs to be given time to develop. That's not to say that I, I think he'll have more good games than he has off games, but at the same time, he needs time to develop. And in terms of transfers, I think you need that blend. Van de Beek, as I've said, is a good start, but it's not enough of a blend to say Van de Beek and promote from within because that is not backing the manager. I can understand the club's rebuke, rebuttal, sorry, that £100 million over the course of the calendar year is backing the manager. Okay, I, I can I can take that, but as you know, with amortisation, that £100 million is spread out over five years or, or four years for the length of a contract. So it's not £100 million up front the way that certain people might want to spin it. So I think that needs to be taken into account, to be honest with you. And the other thing as well I worry about is when I asked you the question about what United will do, I think it will be loan signings. That makes me worry mm-hmm. because Igalo's still on loan. He's mm-hmm. supposed to be going back in January. Mm-hmm. If you add in another one or two loan players in there, what does that really say to, to Solskjaer? You, you, you finished third last season, you improved the squad. Well done. Have a couple of guys on loan for a season and they might do the job for you. That's not backing your manager. I don't care what anyone says. Well, I think that also there's a couple of misleading things here, man. You're right. First of all, uh, if you look at United spending over the last five seasons, it's averaged around seventy-five million a season, right? So, in comparison, uh, United will break it down into smaller number and say over the last couple of years. Andy Milton done an article on this, um, and I assume people at the club had similar conversations with him that they had with me because um, a lot of what Andy put in there uh, was very similar. So um, one notably about their spending over the last couple of years um, with uh, being uh, one of the top in Europe. But this is misleading. First of all, in the seven years, and this is from Rob Dawson at ESPN, uh, in seven years since Alex Ferguson's retirement in 2013, United have spent an average of 85 million on new players in summers following Champions League qualification. When United have missed out on Champions League qualification, they spent on average 161 million. That's not an accident. Something's going on inside the football club that's leading to that. It's leading to that logic that we've qualified, therefore we don't need to keep spending. And this is what concerns me, Callum, and, and this to me is where I think it's another illustration of what happens when football people run football or business people run football clubs. They know what the destination looks like, but they don't really know how to get there, right? They don't really know the steps involved to how to get there. So everything is whimsical. So um, what you also see as a pattern is you never have second season syndrome with their managers. That's when they start to lose confidence in them. That's when they stop backing them. That's whenever you start to see fun and games going on. You look at Van Hal's second season, okay? You look at uh, the, you, the, you look at uh, Mourinho's second season, right? Mourinho qualifies for the Champions League, right? 
um, finishes second. And then the mess happens. The Freds, the Lee Grant, Dallow, Summer. A season yet to finish six points ahead of Liverpool. So then they respond. They bring Solskjaer in first summer. They give him Maguire, they give him Wambasaka. And you know, when I was talking to United and Sam, Fernandez should have been signed before that. And so we'll be signing three players, but okay, you needed four. Right? Doesn't non press that you sign three. You need four. Right? And there's no doubt about it that not signing a midfielder last summer was the biggest contributing factor to what happened the first half of that summer. They should learn from that. Right? Um, so when you get patterns like this, where second season syndrome with managers, you start to see United lose confidence in managers. They start to have, and I was already giving them this much. We should have seen this, this, this already. Right? This immediate return on an investment. So you can guarantee there was times last season when you were very concerned about whether they needed to sack Solskjaer. Right? Um, so, and I think that was part of what led to the delay in Bruno Fernandes. Was do we really want to give this guy another 60 odd bigger? When at the time of signing him, yet it were closer to the bottom three in points than they were in the top three. So here we are again, same situation where these patterns repeat. So yet it will feel like, as we've just pointed out, they feel like with Fernandez, with Maguire, with Juan Bissaka, with, 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 with uh, Igal and what have you, they've supported him. We've given you five players. Go, go and go, go and learn the title challenge. You know, because everything's done through the lens of how much money we give you. It doesn't matter how much money you've given them. Right? It matters what a footballing man tells you the football club need to be successful. That's what you should do. So, you know, in football, it works both ways. So, yes, you can spend a lot of money on a player, but you can also get a Mason Greenwood for free. It's cost, saved, cost United nothing. Saved them a fortune. Right? And unexpected massive return on a player that cost you nothing. So to me, I think um, you can't look at everything like we give you 100 million, therefore that should entitle us to this. Doesn't work like that. And so much of the spending is a reflection of United's ineptitude in previous years. And I agree the last two seasons have been better in terms of new signings and how they've gone about that recruitment. But United are, are trying to battle an, a, a, a perception that they, the people above Solskjaer are inept. If they finish this window with one signing, this football club's going to get slaughtered, mate. It's in the worry for me and the inevitable worry that, that so many have if the club do go backwards, because third, although it didn't feel like a third, it's something that, that will be looked at. If United were to finish fifth, it would be seen as a massive drop-off, even if it was a similar points total because of the nature of, of football. And the way I look at it is, if United go backwards this season, I have to be honest with you, I hope Solskjaer points the finger and I hope he sheds some light. Now, 
he's, he's a guy again, another guy at United, lots of integrity. I'm sure he wouldn't do that, but I think he's getting into a situation where he needs to try and protect his own reputation in many ways because United and Solskjaer, as I say, if the club goes backwards this season on the pitch, obviously the manager has to take responsibility as do the players, but if there's a few injuries and the lack of depth in the squad is exposed, then he really needs to nail his colours to the mast and say, I did tell you, because at the end of the day, the guy cannot be asked to become Jesus Christ and walk on water. He needs to, (laughs) expectations need to be realistic for him. And for me, at this stage with the squad United have got and Van Der Beek being added, it's, it's the only realistic possibility is a top four challenge. I mean, you look at the teams around United, Arsenal have improved. I'm not saying they're going to finish top four, but they've, they've undoubtedly improved under Arteta. Chelsea, albeit their, their players may not settle, and they could go backwards. They've invested. They're looking stronger on paper. Uh, Mourinho's got a full pre-season under his belt at Tottenham. He's adding Bale. He's adding Regulin. So you would assume that they're going to be stronger as the season progresses. And that, as you say, United, one signing. Sagas, talk about fans needing to temper expectations of transfers. Solskjaer really, really needs to protect his own reputation this season because it's very easy how quickly people can forget and, and point the blame always at the manager. It has happened so often in football and I think he needs to remind fans if the lack of depth is exposed that I did tell you so and I tried my best. Well, I think where United fans are entitled to some answers, like, I think there's a lot of blame to go around, right? I think not all the blame lies at Edward Wood's door or Matt Judge's door. Um, but I think when United refuse to meet the price of the players asking price, it's almost always down to the owners refusing to meet that price, right? It's not really down. If, if Like I've said before, if someone hands Edward Wood and Matt Judge 120 million cash and says, go buy to and Sancho, they'll go buy to and Sancho, right? Um, this is about trying to buy Jaden Sancho within the parameters that are being imposed upon them by the owners of this football club. Where I do hold them responsible is for the things that I've said, for taking way too long to understand, uh, to, come to, to come to some sort of arrangement with Jaden Sancho's agent. And, and, and uh, that should have been done the first week of the window. Ultimatum should have been given to Jaden Sancho. So listen, if you're going to sit here and say that this must be paid and we aren't going to pay it, and you aren't going to change your mind the first week this window opens, we have to move on. Okay? But to be fair to Tiaden Sancho, he has made enough. He's made it, he's changed his mind with ample time he needed to get this deal done. But what I don't understand, Calm, to me, Matt, and I'm sorry to keep going on with Tiaden Sancho, there's just so many parts of it I don't understand. I actually I look at this, and so bad has been United's performance in this deal. I wonder if they were ever really serious about signing them. Mm-hmm. Because everything has been an impediment. His wages, agent demand, um, Bruce Dortmund's asking price. I mean, at what point did you have any confidence that you were going to get a deal done? I mean, if it gets done, fine. I'll command Woodward. I'm not emotionally committed to any particular uh, you know, narrative about any of them. My views change based on two things, based on evidence and based on information. Okay. If 
Edward Wood turns around and says, Tate and Sancho on the left back, Manchester United do that. I will commend them immensely. And I will say United are making tremendous progress in the recruitment department. It's very encouraging. It's not perfect. It should have been done earlier. We agree. But it got done. And that's all we can ask for. Right? If you just said to me to start a window, would Sancho, Fanta, Bake, and the left back be a very good window? I said yes. Right? And so then what comes next is you can start focusing on smaller things like adding some quality young players to beat the beef out the squad, right? You can do that next year if these players work out. But uh, the, the, where I hold Edward Bird much much accountable for this ridiculous dragon out of Sancho on, you know, the, the, surely there had to have been some point in this deal where they said, look, Bruce Dortmund very well could stick to their asking price of 120 million euros. What if? Okay, well, we're not going to pay anyone near that. Okay, well, the agent's asking too much money for his fee, and he's asking too much money for the wages. Okay, well, where's the confidence come that this is a target that we should pursue? Where's the confidence come that Bruce Dortmund want to lower their price? Tieden Sancho and his agent just did. So if you're not willing to pay anywhere near Bruce Dortmund's asking price, why bother asking Sancho to drop his personal demands and his wages? I mean, I would imagine that if Jaden Sancho ends up staying at Borussia Dortmund, none of this is particularly flattering to him. Because if he was a United player doing this with somebody, it would irritate me. Just like the Paul Pogba situation irritated me. Be like, look, if you want to play for this football club or not, that's fine. But if you want to leave, and the only reason why you're not leaving is because the buying club isn't willing to pay the our asking price. It's not, it doesn't say a lot about Sancho and his commitment to Borussia Dortmund. And United will have embarrassed him. You know? I mean, this is the risk of putting in a transfer request and United don't follow through with, with, the, with the price. And say to Borussia Dortmund, they, 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 they're, a, they're a case catalog tech mom, we'll give you a fiver a week. And I'm alone those jeans in 52 weeks. It's madness. I have to say, with the transfer request side, um, I totally agree with you. There's been talk that United would prefer if he came out publicly, but I'll be honest with you, and I'm sure you would agree, I wouldn't have confidence in putting a transfer request in that United are going to come in like the, the knights of the day and, and, and pay the money and get you out of there. So I don't think he'll come out publicly. The fact he's, he's lowered his demands and that's been briefed shows you that he does want the move. But at the same time, there will come a point, and maybe this point's already come for him, where he thinks... See the amount of messing around they're doing with this deal? I might just sit tight here for another year and I'll probably have five or six options next summer when clubs start to get back on their feet or if they start to get back on their feet. Because I can tell you something for sure now. If United don't sign Sancho in this window and get someone on loan for a year, I don't see them getting them next summer. Because this, this, this past will be in his mind, it'll be in his agent's mind. And when someone comes in and makes him feel fully wanted, he'll go there. Well, man, perhaps, um, and uh, the only way these questions go away is if you need to get this business done, right? Uh, I sincerely, sincerely hope the window does not close and Solskjaer is left with what he's got or he's left with the Josh King and someone else. These are not Manchester United signings, right? I did a podcast in May, I believe, or April, May, somewhere around there. I actually might have done it with you. I don't know if I did it with you or Martin. And I joked that... Um, I could see United pursuing Sancho and ending up turning around someone saying like Malang Sar from Watford. 
In fact, I said a number of times. <laughs> you did. I'm a staggering high percent. <laughs> it's really staggering how predictable it all is. Right? So um I I think um it, it, looking at the entire we, we every year we hope that this changes. I have no idea why you never do this. I mean, maybe there's something to be said. This is what I don't understand. Rob Dawson talks about how you see, United are a bit upset with a couple of things. So if you go back to um, the uh, last season, allegedly they were really upset over all the links of Bruno Fernandes, right? And um, end up sending him six months later. And they're now apparently upset with the social media hysteria, um, which they are a bit. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a, a rumor. It's true. But at the same time, United also sat down with Adidas and said, look, when Paul Pogba was linked with Manchester United, there was four times the social media interactions than what there was when he was linked with Real Madrid. So they monetize it. But see, how do you do this? How do you monetize all that speculation, yet insulate yourself from the blowback when United don't sign players? Because what they're trying to do is find a balance between being able to monetize that, not raising expectations, and then Edward were getting slaughtered. Because if they could say, okay, we will have endless speculation, but it, when the window closes, there's no, uh, no, there's no price to pay for not delivering on that speculation. Edward was not going to get his reputation traced. The football club aren't going to get slaughtered and all that. Right, advertisers aren't going to get attacked. All that, right? They that's they'd be happy with that. It's not so much the speculation that bothers them; it's the reason of expectation, and then you need to not deliver on that expectation, and then the blowback from that, which results in, by the way, the idiots emailing Edward were totally out of order, right? Totally out of order. Attacking his house out of order. You're entitled to have, to have a different opinion, but there's young children. They, 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 this is totally unacceptable. There's a line. And I myself, as a proponent of mental health, I'm also somewhat conscious of that. And I've written a couple of scathing articles this summer, Callum, right? And they weren't complimentary. And sometimes in the back of my mind, I do think about how toxic it must be for people who work, maybe Edward or whatever, to read this constantly, right? But I also say to myself, this is a voluntary position. You're working for the biggest football club in the world as you constantly remain people. That's gonna come with high profile praise and high profile criticism. So you're exceptionally well compensated and by no means am I drawing a parallel between compensation and mental health. But what I'm saying is, I've had jobs in the past that have been detrimental to my mental health and I've walked away for that reason when I couldn't afford to. So I'm not saying it should be a choice between staying in a job and, and tolerating that abuse because I've just criticized the people that go over the top of it. But um, it's also a position that Ed is clearly deeply attached to because uh, for some reason he seems immune to analysis and immune to... Uh, job performance, and if he is exceptional, negotiate and advertising contracts, then stay there. 
do that. We'll let somebody else run the football side because it's been disaster after disaster after disaster. We've went from a football club that was unthinkable that we would finish outside the top four to now being someone that's uh, unthinkable that we'll win the league. And we are now a team that we've mocked Arsenal for. That is the, the harsh reality. That's the, the stark picture. Hopefully, we can see some positivity against Palace. Hopefully, some some um, deals can be done that, that are not panic station deals. They're deals that make sense on paper and strengthen the squad. And let's just hope we can we can talk about United in, in a more positive light as soon yeah. as possible. Creep me out because this is what we both want, right? And all the fans want. I don't like being negative. Look, I know that if I go on social media and tweet happy, clappy stuff, or give me a bunch of followers, likes, I know exactly what happens whenever I tweet stuff that, for example, the Regulon thing, right? When I put it out there that uh, not only, uh, just just to give you an analysis, a couple of things, Regulon, when I put it out there that um, he was going to Spurs, David Einstein was the first one to tweet about this, by the way, 100%. Um, and then about 10 minutes later, I put out a thing that said he's going to Spurs um, primarily because of that buyout clause. Now, allegedly, United never really advanced negotiations because of that buyout clause. So it was, they will tell you, I'm sure that, well, we did walk away from it quickly. Okay, well, then where's the alternative? Who else are we close to? So what have you spent that time doing? What are the other left backs? I know with Alex Tellers is linked a lot. So, um, so, so the, the other things is, Callum, let's say Mason Greenwood and, and Mangi are successes this season. That has nothing to do with Edward Wood. That has nothing to do with Matt Judge. It has nothing to do with Richard Arnold. That is a coaching success. That is down to United's coaches. That is down to, that has nothing to do with the business people. So they don't get to claim part of that as their success. In the same way, Solskjaer doesn't get to claim part of the Chevy deal or whoever the next sponsor is. You know, um, I still think Smalling will go. Uh, I think that uh, Rojo will go on, on and United will probably subsidize his wages. And that may be part of the reason why United are still waiting because it's a 31-man squad. They want to get rid of a few players. Um, and uh, these players are hard to get rid of because of two things, because they've been poor on the pitch and because they're grotesquely overpaid. Um, that is not their fault. That is the fault of the people that negotiated these contracts. Lee Grant is on 30 grand a week. Just to finish up on the goalkeeping situation, Calum. You ended up have two goalkeepers, neither of whom will sit on the bench. You ended up spending half a million a week on goalkeepers. Half a million a week. Let's assume that Dean Henderson takes a number one spot this season. Come the end of the season, United will have a backup goalkeeper on 350 grand a week. Good luck shifting him. Right? That's not a long-term solution. You can't have that. Um, if De Gea keeps his position, Dean Henderson will want to leave. We're not going to accept sitting on the bench. Neither of them will. So if one of those two goalkeepers will want to leave at the end of the season. It's good for United in the sense that both players will have a man's competition and may the best man win. But one of the things that uh, Franz Hoke was saying about Dean Henderson was he still got some also issues about his distribution. Um, he tends to knock the ball long. 
which is something you have to change in United. So anyway, uh, before we finish, man, let's talk quickly about Crystal Palace because uh, what I will say is United won't get caught out um, on squad size based on their uh, based on squad depth the first couple of weeks. So we'll get away with it. Crystal Palace is a game. If United lose that game, the crescendo of criticism on them will be obscene, right? And uh, it's going to be I, 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 it's going to be interesting to see United start the game. Let's have us right. This is a much better United team starting this season than the one started last season. Much sure. better, right? Pogba, Fernandez, Van der Beek is very exciting midfield. Greenwood, who wasn't given a rest, sadly. Um, Martial, Riceford, very exciting front three. It's just that it's such a thin squad, we can't afford any injuries. I'm excited about the, the, the return of United on the park, I have to say. The sagas, the transfer window, um, entertains some people. Um, for me, it entertains me when it's going well, but it's just something that's a drawn-out saga, which, which we're all used to. So to have football back on the park is the big bonus. I agree with you. I think United's options in the centre of the park. You've got six players now. Um, you've got Matic, McTominay, Fred, and the three you mentioned. Um, so you've got the, the ability to rotate in there um, for certain games, which which is good. It's just a pity that other areas of the park aren't, aren't as well stacked. But I think United will start with a victory. I desperately hope start with a victory. Yep. And I, I I'll be honest with you. I think I, I think they win by two goals. Well, I hope so, Callum. Um, we will see. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I, I know I'm not, we're not delighted with what happened over the summer, but I'm still looking forward to seeing how to play this weekend. Still looking forward to seeing Van der Beek. Looking forward to how that, that midfield three lines up and what we end up doing. I think what will happen is they'll put Pogba into a more deeper role, almost like the Thiago role at Liverpool, where he's someone who's going to set up play from a defensive midfield role. He needs to improve in that position. Uh, we saw him against Southampton last season where he got caught out. He got caught out a couple of times in that position, but it is a position that he didn't a tactical player in. Um, <clears throat> so I think um, it's good to see. I think that will happen. I think we'll see Pogba in a, in a, in a withdrawn role and we'll see Van der Beek and Fernandez provide goals from, from midfield in creativity. Um, hopefully, before the end of the window, we get another two in. And uh, if, if they get another two in, then I think Solskjaer has to make sure what what does success look like? I think it, he needs a trophy, and he needs to make sure that this is a United team that, for no part of the season, are under any doubt as to whether they'll finish in the top four. It has to be a team that is closer to Liverpool, closer to City, but yet inexplicably, both of those teams have done more business than United, despite the fact they've finished significantly ahead of them. So, um, if he doesn't get those players, it's totally unrealistic to expect Solskjaer to do that. And um, if that failure comes, Callum, a plead and beg with the fans, do not give in to the temptation to criticize Solskjaer exclusively and think another manager is going to come in and change this. At some point, we have to learn that the criticism goes way beyond Solskjaer. That's, that, that, that's something that, as you know, I'm passionate about. United, um, and as I've said to you, and, and I mean what I say, he needs to protect his reputation this season. That doesn't mean he can he can just throw the board under the bus every opportunity like Mourinho in his last last season. But what he has to do if that squad is exposed for a lack of depth, then he has to just say publicly, "I told you so." 
I actively said I wanted three players to strengthen certain positions. I didn't get them. We're trying their best, etc., etc. He needs to protect his reputation. The fans need to understand, as you've said, that it's not down to one man in Solskjaer, um, this whole situation. Yes, they can say they've brought in five or six players for him. That's true, but you've just hit the nail on the head. Liverpool won their league in the European Cup within the last two years. They've strengthened with a world-class player, and they're about to sign another proven Premier League player along with them. City signed a Premier League defender, and they've signed someone from the Spanish top flight in, in Ferran Torres as well. So they've signed players who are going to come in and make an impact. Let's just hope United do as well and, and bring on Palace. By the way, are you hiding in the next-door neighbour's wife's closet or something? Let the <laughs> husband come home? It's a nightmare. It's pitch black in there, mate. What's a crack? So basically, the, 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 where I am recording, um, I didn't realise that the light has gone. So I am... I'm, the biggest guys, man. You have a penalytic bill? That's people from Aberdeen. Not me, mate, I promise. Doesn't it tick, man? Okay, Callum, thanks very much for doing this, mate. Uh, back, of course, as usual, on a weekly basis now that the season started. Thank you to all of you folks for so many of your lovely messages over... Um, my wife, uh, my wife's birthday last week, which just meant the world to me. Um, as I've said many, many times, I'm far from perfect. I said something on social media last week that I deeply, deeply regret. It was a stupid joke as a result of being provoked. I shouldn't react that way. Lots of people get get criticism on there, and it just should be something I should do better and raise above and ignore. I apologize to anyone for defending anyone. I did not mean that. Um, <clears throat> and I'm I will definitely hold my hands up and say when I'm wrong. Um, but uh, thank you to all of you for all your kind comments, likes, retweets, follows, everything. So much appreciated. And um, thanks for all your support of BTP. And you need to make sure you're following this guy at football underscore CFB because this lad's content's better than Pornhub. This guy is banging out stuff on a level that is truly unbelievable. Um, interviews that, that you couldn't believe. I don't know how he does it. Um, but... Uh, you know, it, it, it is absolutely amazing. You know, I, I look at my own stuff, man. I've, I, every time you upload an interview, I've got Jeff Bezos. I, you know, I did Stuart Manor and we look like, Jesus Christ, where do you get that lad from? Truly, absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Some fantastic, fantastic, fantastic stuff, mate. I'm over here sniffing toys out of the, the dollar store. But um, nonetheless, I'm still here. Thanks very much, Callum. All the best, mate. All the best. Take care. Cheers, pal.